Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. It's the lunch hour. Sports Radio FNZ, Kyle Bailey, alongside my buddy Evan Smoke Ludwig, coming up in 20 minutes. Barrett Salee, CBS Sports and CBSSports.com, college football insider. We'll talk about the seasons ahead, if there will be, in fact, a season ahead uh, over the weekend. The NCAA's chief medical officer appearing on CNN saying that right now testing is inadequate to pull off a season and that testing would need to improve dramatically, in his opinion for the season to go off. So we'll, we'll talk about some of that with Barrett Salee. And we're talking college football here in just a moment. But it has been uh, interesting because you know, we just had another uh, employee dip her head in the studio to say hi and congratulations because last week we announced my wife and I are going to be having a baby and very excited to be a dad. And it's been a hard secret to keep for the last couple of months. you know. But uh, Smoke asked me a question during the break, and it's it actually is kind of sports related. What tell me the, ask me the question again. So are you going to be one of those families and couples to do a gender reveal? You know what? I and by for anybody out there who's done one of those, please don't take the, any offense to this because if my wife had wanted to do one, you know I'd be doing one because I don't I don't get to say no as a husband or a, a, a you know future father to something like that. If she wanted a gender reveal, my answer would have to be yes. But she's telling me she doesn't want to do the gender reveal. Which, on the one hand, was surprising coming from her because I was I was certain she wanted to do it. On the other hand, though, I don't know if it's disappointing or if I feel better about the fact that I'm not going to have to have all the pressure or pressure of hitting like a fake softball <laughs> with blue or pink powder in the mid the middle of it, or like a blue or pink golf ball or whatever the case may be. It would have to be sports related if we did the gender reveal. I'd probably go with somebody you know the slow pitch softball full of blue or pink powder. But man, I don't need that kind of pressure in my life. Well, I, we've seen some of those softball ones where uh, the, the husband throws it up to the wife or the other way around, and they completely miss the pitch, and right. then it just hits the ground. <laughs> it's the most, most hilarious thing ever. Or like Kirk Cousins almost missing the box on his gender reveal. Uh, Gordon Hayward, oh, yeah. G- Gordon Hayward had a funny one where he was hoping for a boy. He's had like three girls, and then he opens the reveal, reveals the gender to be a girl. He's like, 
the most disappointed man in the face of the earth right now because he <laughs> he doesn't get a son. He's had four tries, doesn't get a son. Oh man, it's fantastic. So yeah, I, I just I'm not upset about it in the slightest because she told me over the weekend. Are you, I don't really like her friends are shocked that she doesn't want to do a gender reveal. And I said, uh, <laughs> I said, wait, so you're, you're telling me we don't have to do one of those? And she was like, no, I don't really think it's necessary right now. And I'm like, that, that's the best news ever because I didn't want to throw a gender reveal party, you know, nor did I want to have to buy three or four of those because there's, there's too much pressure that comes along with that. So I'm glad that we're not doing it. But there have been some good ones. There have also been some embarrassing ones. And quite honestly, the embarrassing ones are the most fun to watch. All I know is I don't have to do it, and I'm pretty happy about it. It's almost like the gender reveals is a lot like proposing at a sporting event in my opinion it's like do you really need to do it unless you're unless it was like uh, carlos correa I, I believe it was carlos correa that proposed to his girlfriend right after he won the 2017 world series yeah that, like if you do something like that or like the player from boise state that proposed after scoring the game winning touchdown in the fiesta bowl like okay you get to do that because you just had one of the biggest moments of your life Go go ahead while you're on top. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. 704-570-9610. Asa Abloy phone lines, building center text line. Hit us up with whatever you got. Uh, again, coming up in 16 minutes, we'll talk to Barrett Salee, CBS Sports and CBSSports.com, college football insider. And some of what we'll get into is the obvious news of the weekend. Now, we're coming off a week where seven days ago, I came in the studio last Monday and I said, buckle up. This is about to be a wild week for college football news. And sure enough, that's exactly what ensued. It was a wild week for college football news. The Big Ten, the Pac-12, canceling fall football, the Pac-12 going a little further and canceling all sports through the end of the calendar year. They won't play any sports in the Pac-12 until 2021. I'll say this for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 at least released a 12-page medical report supporting the decision they made to cancel fall football. I I don't know that I necessarily agree with the timing of their decision, but they at least supported their decision with a 12-page report full of medical reasons why they did what they did. The Big Ten really did no such thing. The Big Ten and their new commissioner, Kevin Warren, that guy's getting a trial by fire, baptism by fire introduction to that gig. Now, I'm, I'm saying that understanding full well that Kevin Warren is was more than qualified for the job and you know reportedly Kevin Warren's ultimate goal or at least his ultimate career goal at one point was to become the commissioner of the National Football League. Kevin Warren, whose son by the way plays for Mississippi State. They held a vote and he's saying as you know this is probably true that schools voted, presidents voted and opted to cancel the season. Big 10 a lot of Big 10 teams as you now know are not happy with that decision. Nebraska was hot last week. Scott Frost is out here threatening to leave the conference, which was, look, I love Scott Frost's fire. I, I, I've had nothing but good experiences with the Cornhusker fans. So Nebraska fans, if you're out there, know this is coming from a good place. I, I love your coach's fire, but it was absurd to ever truly believe that team was going to leave the Big Ten. If there had been a way for them to play outside the Big Ten temporarily with the blessing of the Big Ten, maybe, but it was never going to happen. There's so many people out there who didn't even bother to look up what grant of rights means when it comes to TV deals right, and binding these schools to those conferences. Never mind that Nebraska got a $52 million payout from the Big Ten last year, and they're in a prestigious academic conference. The president of Nebraska had to have laughed multiple people out of the room when any discussion of leaving the conference for a single football year came up. 
But Nebraska's not happy. Ohio State, not happy. Michigan, Penn State, a lot of people not happy at all. Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields you know, took that displeasure and started a petition requesting the Big Ten immediately reinstate the 2020 football season, a petition that has more than 223,000 signatures as of 9 a.m. this morning. Fields tweeted last night, quote, this cause is close to my heart, end quote, and urge people to sign the petition. The campaign said it is asking the Big Ten to allow its players and teams to make their own choices as to whether they wish to play or opt out of the fall season. The petition follows the Big Ten's decision, obviously, to postpone the season based on medical advice regarding the COVID pandemic and a vote from the conference's presidents and chancellors. In the petition, Fields wrote that the players believe, quote, the safety protocols have been established and can be maintained to mitigate the concerns of exposure to COVID-19, end quote. He goes on to say that he believes the players should be able to make decisions about what's best for their health and for their future. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, okay, these are, in fact, technically grown men. They should have a voice. They should be allowed to have a say in what they do and do not do. And I would agree with that. But there's also a, I don't know, let's call it a school of thought that, uh, you know, these are young people who don't have a ton of life experience and they should be listened to, but ultimately decisions should be made on their behalf more often than not, especially in serious instances like these, to protect them from themselves. That is a school of thought that exists. The problem, though, is it's not just these players. It's not just Justin Fields with his petition, right? We all know these players want to play. There is also now a coalition of parents of Big Ten players, not just at Ohio State, but Michigan and Iowa and Penn State and Nebraska, who are all beating down the door of the Big Ten office, flooding their inboxes and their phone lines, also signing petitions, demanding that the Big Ten allow these schools, these programs, to make their own decisions. Their logic being that if individual players are given the option of opting out of the season, why wouldn't teams and athletics programs be given the option of opting out and making their own decisions? And it's not illogical to me. I said last week, and I'll continue to say it because some people aren't with us all the time. Some people are coming in newly to this show all the time. And I I love that, but I, I want to tell you what I said last week. If it's not safe to play football, then don't play football. The issue for me, and for a lot of people, however, is that you have five power conferences to say nothing of the group of five conferences that are still at the FBS level, but let's focus on the five power conferences for a moment, all of whom have their own medical advisory boards led by infectious disease specialists and variations of physicians and all sorts of, you know, learned doctors, you know, making decisions on behalf of their respective conferences. And what we saw last week was the PAC-12 and the Big Ten arrive at wildly different medical conclusions than the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 did. The Pac-12, again, at least released its medical information and its justification to let people know why it made the decision that it did. However, as we talked about last week, Dr. Cameron Wolf, who is one of the leading infectious disease specialists in the country, works at Duke University, and chairs the ACC's medical advisory board, said very confidently, We have six months of data on this. We know it's difficult. We know it's dangerous to a certain segment of the population, but we very much believe that we can manage this and mitigate the risk for these players throughout the course of this season and safely pull this off. So I realize that, you know, the Pac-12 folks, the Michigan, Stanford, Cal alums, 
who are very proud of their prestigious academic reputation, believe that their people are right. But as I said last week, allow me to introduce you to the academics of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Anybody turning up their noses at the experts and the academics and the physicians at Duke, at UVA, you know, the, the, uh, the experts at Georgia Tech, the experts at North Carolina, you know, where Chapel Hill has been a hotspot for studying this virus. Are we really supposed to believe that they don't know what they're talking about? So there's no uniformity. And if it's not safe to play and it's deemed not safe to play, then don't play. Nobody wants to put lives and safety ahead of football. At least no reasonable person does. But you have conflicting opinions on this. And if the ACC pulls off a successful season, now I realize there are people out there who think, well, it's just a matter of time. You know, they're not going to play. They're just holding out and, uh, you know, they're, they're being ridiculous. And the Big Ten and Pac-12 made the right decision. It's only a matter of time before the SEC and ACC and Big 12 do the same. Well, the Big 12 is off to a rough start. <laughs> not good news on some of those campuses. And what we saw done in Tuscaloosa yesterday, not encouraging. But am I supposed to believe that the ACC doctors are wrong? The SEC and Big 12 doctors are wrong? There are some pretty accomplished and respected academics in this conference who believe this is very doable. And if the ACC and SEC and Big 12 pull this off and the Big Ten and Pac-12 don't play, oh, there will be consequences and there will be ramifications of that felt across the Midwest and the, and the left coast. You better believe that. That's just that, that's that's the honest truth. So where do we go from here? Well, I think at this point it's about monitoring these campuses up and down the eastern seaboard and the ACC and SEC and seeing what the next couple of weeks look like. Because these crowds on campus down in Tuscaloosa yesterday, 500 people crowded together, not a mask in sight, that ain't good. Especially if you're going to hold on-campus, in-person classes. So I can't guarantee football. But I understand those who are criticizing the Big Ten for lack of transparency, lack of justification, unwillingness to listen to their players and their parents and some of these coaches. I get it. We'll come back. We'll talk about this with Barrett Salee, CBS Sports, on the other side here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ. Get your opinions raw every day. Listen to Wilson and Parcell anywhere on the radio.com app. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ back on a Monday, kicking off another work week. Hope everybody's doing swell. Coming up in 40 minutes, Will Healy, head football coach of the Charlotte 49ers. He joins us every Monday to kick off the final hour of the show. We'll talk to Coach Healy coming up at 1 and get his thoughts on everything going on in college football. Speaking of, uh, for the App State fans out there listening, we did get the news just a short while ago that uh, App State will go to Marshall. We'll go to Huntington, West Virginia. Marshall hosting App State on September the 19th. So App State filling up its schedule after everything happening across the Power Five. We'll get to that in just a bit, but right now, we welcome back to the show a man who knows a thing or two about college football. College football writer, CBSSports.com. You can also watch him on CBS CBS Sports HQ, and one of the biggest Atlanta Braves fans that I know, Barrett Salee, is back with us on the Technicom Hotline. Barrett, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. What, what is uh, now? Quick take from you as an avid Braves fan. We just had Chip Carey on a while ago. They, they took two or three from the Marlins. They're doing it with a, uh, a banged up lineup and what turned into a disaster of a rotation. What do you see so far? Yeah, you know, it's been unfortunate the way things have gone down, but I think if there's a silver lining, it's that uh, everybody else in the division has struggled too, and uh, the Braves have found a way to, to still be in first place. And, you know, in a year where the top two teams from each division make the playoffs, uh, 
um, surviving things like this are vitally important. So, you know, um, it, it hasn't been very easy to watch them lately. Uh, it's been stressful, but uh, hopefully, you know, everybody gets right soon. Uh, we get some of the some of the hitters like Al, uh, Albies and Matt Adams back, and um, you know, who knows? Maybe Kyle Wright or Tukey will figure it out on the mound. But it's been. Uh, it's been stressful. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> That's true. And old man Mark is coming through again yesterday. It's been a strange season thus far, but we're having fun with it. All right, let's talk about the uh, the Big Ten. Justin Fields starts a petition requesting the Big Ten immediately reinstate the 2020 football season. At last check, it had well over 225,000 uh, signatures. I don't know if this is going to work or not, Barrett, but it seems that the Big Ten has a lot of disgruntled people on its hands right now. What What's the reaction been like at the Big Ten offices? What are you hearing? Yeah, I'm sure their heads are spinning. Um, you know, I know that, that Kevin Warren is, is really, um, you know, struggling to figure out how to handle this situation, even though really it's on him. I mean, he's the reason that, um, you know, this is happening for, for canceling the season so early with, you know, for, with, with no medical evidence provided. Now, you know, we can all argue about the medical evidence that's out there um, on one side or the other, but, you know, they, they didn't release what specifically led to their, uh, their decision. So, um, you know, I think the fact that he's getting it from all sides, players, coaches, uh, parents, you know, I think that's, it's problematic, and, and if you're the president of, of uh, you know, these schools, it, it is a presidential decision, and I think we all know that even though it's air quote unanimous, it's never unanimous. Um, I think there's, I wouldn't say a, a chance of, of reconsidering, but I do think that the, the, the lasting impact of this uh, is going gonna, is gonna to be far-reaching uh, in, in a lot of different ways, and, um, you know, I, the fact that Kevin Warren drastically misread the room and thought that he could build a coalition, um, you know, to cancel, um, I think is, is, it shows, you know, really that he has no idea what college athletics is all about. And if, if any of the other, you know, six conferences play, then I would imagine there are going to be some really, really angry people in the Big Ten. I mean, I think I'm, I'm reading between the lines here, but just to a step, you don't think Kevin Warren made the right decision, right? No, no, well, not not as early as he did. Right. You know, they, all these conferences, even the SEC, you know, starting so late, you know, they all have built-in safeguards, right? Like they have bigger windows to play fewer games. So why the need? Even though the Big Ten announced it was going to start, um, you know, it was it was it had the full schedule release. You don't have to adhere to that. You, you can move things around. You can push things back. You can do all kinds of things that um, you know are, are built in to react to whatever you know, data that you come across. And, and now you look at, you know, where the data is. It, it suggests that things are going to be okay. I mean, things are going down. They've been trending down for a long time, which, you know, a, a lot of epidemiologists think is, is just how it goes. It goes through waves in different locations, and, and pretty much every location now um, has seen a, a pretty sharp decline. So, you know, I, I think that there's no re- there was no reason for him to do it then, uh, unless that was the decision all along. And, and I had heard, you know, a couple weeks before, um, you know, even the schedule announcement in the Big Ten that the ultimate goal was, was not to play. Uh, they felt like they had to release a schedule because, you know, you have to have that in your back pocket. But, uh, yeah, I think that he, he drastically misread the room. Uh, and, and as a result, you know, he's putting his conference in a pretty perilous situation because if, uh, if other conferences play, the Big Ten – um, you know, it seems like Ohio State will still be competitive, but it's going to take a long, long time for that conference to get back where it was. 
Barrett Solis, CBSSports.com. He's with us on the Technicom guest line. Expand on that if you would, because I, I find that interesting. And I, and I do agree with you in a sense. Uh, and look, I, I've said this since the beginning, Barrett, and I said it in the previous segment. If it's not safe to play football, don't play football. But my problem here is that, as you've pointed out, you have uh, differing opinions and wildly different conclusions from Power 5 Conference to Power 5 Conference. You've got this coalition of players and parents now demanding that the Big Ten reverse course and reinstate the football season. So so continue that train of thought. If the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 play a season, what are the ramifications in your mind for the Big Ten and Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine they're going to recruit very well. Yeah. Although we did see the, the number three overall player uh, that, who's committed to Ohio State uh, say that he was going to sit out this fall, uh, his final year of high school, enroll in the spring in the hopes of playing the spring season as a true freshman. So you're going to see things like that, but it's going to be really hard for them to recruit consistently. You're going to see kids uh, bail because, you know, why would you go through, spend two years of eligibility over a 10-month span? If you're a freshman, you know, if you're a freshman, knowing that you still have to be three years removed from high school to uh, to be eligible for the uh, NFL draft, I just that's going to be a huge problem. Uh, players who who want to play and, and play a full season uh, are probably not going to be thrilled with the fact that their final year of eligibility, or at least their final year before they're draft eligible, uh, will take place in the spring. It's just there's so many logistical problems that will prevent you know, those coaches and those programs from properly managing rosters. And if, um, you know, if that's the case, then, you know, you're going to have, you know, uncertainty and, and instability. And, and because of that, I would imagine, uh, you know, those conferences and those teams are going to have a hard time holding on players. And, and even if they do, you know, the, the, the amount of effort that's going to go into uh, recruiting high school players, but also re-recruiting players that are on your roster to, to sort of convince them that, that sticking around is the right thing to do, you know, that's, that's going to take a ton of time and, and a ton of effort, and, and I would imagine it's not going to be very successful. What did you make of uh, the, the, the images out of Tuscaloosa yesterday? Their AD Greg Byrne tweeting out uh, an image of you know students in downtown Tuscaloosa, all I mean hundreds of them together, no masks in sight, no social distancing, and you know, lots of others chiming in saying, guys, this is exactly what we're talking about. We're not going to be able to pull off a season if you continue to act this way. Does that concern you? Yeah, it's concerning. I, I disagree with the point that they're not going to be able to pull off a season if this happens because, you know, the players have been in a, essentially a bubble. Uh, they can choose to stay there, and a lot of them will, you know, stay in a bubble, so to speak. Um, you know, you're going to have kids go out. There's no doubt. Um, you know, that, that the, the, the students not taking things seriously is, is very concerning because, you know, if there's an outbreak, you know, in a local, you know, city or around a campus, then, you know, you're, you're more at risk of getting it. I think that's, you know, obviously that's common sense. But, um, you know, as, as far as as completing the season and starting the season, yeah, it makes it much more unlikely, but it, it doesn't make it impossible. Because, the, you know, I saw the Auburn players, uh, I guess it was Saturday, uh, say that downtown was packed and no one's wearing their masks. Well, if they're pointing it out, that means they clearly see a problem. And, and that clearly means that they specifically, individually, and within the team bubble can do something about it uh, and, and stay away from, you know, situations like that. So, yeah, it's concerning, and it certainly makes it less likely that, that, that the season will get started on time or happen at all. But I, I'm not one of these people that, that thinks that something like that will be what cancels the season because that's just not it. No, I'm with you. Barrett Salee, CBSSports.com. He's with us on the Technicom hotline. Is Liberty going to screw this up for the entire ACC? Because if I'm Virginia Tech, Syracuse, and yeah. NC State today, I'm not happy, Barrett. 
Yeah, leave it to Liberty and you freeze to do that. Right. Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, maybe, and I hate to dodge the question. It's just um, if, if the if the option is continuing down the path they went down over the weekend, or finding whatever way possible, even if it's shelling out a ton of money uh, to, to have somebody else come in and administer uh, the, the the strictest you know set of testing protocols you possibly can, um, you know I would imagine Liberty would choose the latter. So. Uh, I don't think it would, um, but am I confident in that answer? No, I'm not very confident in that answer. <laughs> All right, so it, let, let's just, let's operate under the assumption that you know we have the big three Power Five conferences and the, the other group of five conferences you mentioned continuing on. They forge ahead. They play football. What does the what does the playoff look like in your mind, Barrett? Who who is uh, who's playing in those four spots for a national championship? Yeah, I think you would you would most likely have one from the power each of the power three conferences, um, you know. And I think you know it's hard to say how the committee would view you know the AAC if the AAC plays. Um, you know, it's hard to, to to say what they would view Notre Dame as. Um, you know, playing the ACC schedule, did they give them a benefit of the doubt just because you know they're playing a comparable schedule to Clemson? Um, you know, so if I had to guess, it would be probably two SEC, one ACC, and one you know Big Twelve, uh, just because. You know, I think it's it's safe to say that whoever plays in the SEC championship game is going to be a team. Uh, they're going to be teams that that have playoff, you know, right in front of them. They, that's been the case for what five years straight now. So uh, I would imagine that's the case. I think the one disclaimer would be: what if it's Clemson Notre Dame, and what if Notre Dame beats Clemson in the regular season, and then uh, Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship game? You know, that that would be a big one. Um, you know, and and I do think it's more likely uh, now than in the past that that maybe an AAC team gets in. You know, if, if Houston goes undefeated or Memphis goes undefeated or, or, or you know, UCF or whoever, you know, it's going to be hard to compare them to somebody else. You know, it'll be, you know, strictly because of the eye test. And, you know, the eye test, I think, is more, you know, a, more of a powerful, um, you know, factor for, for the former coaches on that, that staff or on that, that committee. But, you know, it's, it's probably not as much for, for the other guys, for the ADs, so. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think the Notre Dame aspect, coupled with the fact that, you know, you look at the ACC, man, they've got some great defensive linemen and and great linebackers. So the ACC might actually be pretty strong this year. All right. Hey, last thing, then I'll let you go. People keep telling me there are going to be long-lasting implications. This redefines college athletics, everything that's happening right now. Do you buy into that? And if it does, in your mind, redefine college athletics, what does that look like after the fact? Yeah, I think it does. I think the the pro, the issue is that we don't know exactly what that means. Um, you know, I think this is the, the reason that um, you know the NCAA is sort of passively aggressive, aggressively fighting. Uh, you know, the big six that are still playing uh, is because they understand that this is probably going to be the end of the NCAA if conferences play this year. Because you would have you know the three power five conferences obviously uh, would be more likely to, to break away and. And, uh, you know, the NCAA is fighting for relevancy as it is. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's going to be an interesting time. I would imagine you see uh, if things do change, you would see uh, a less impactful NCAA. Um, you know, the autonomous five creating, um, you know, a, a much more structured, um, consistent, uh, you know, sort of uh, sport where there are built-in, you know, ways for, for name, image, and likeness to be managed. Uh, there, there are more, you know, more stru- structured ways uh, for for recruiting to happen, both legally, uh, you know, as, as inducements, and then um, you know, once players get on campus. So, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think it'll it'll change. It'll change drastically, and 
it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, since the Big Ten teams are clearly upset about the Big Ten's decision, um, that maybe you just have, you know, the era of super conferences ushered in this way rather than by the expiration of TV contracts, which is, what, five, six years away. No doubt. Barrett, great stuff, buddy. We appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Kyle. Thanks. There you go. Barrett Salise, CBSSports.com, with us on the Technicom guest line. We react on the other side. That, and after a scorching week, we'll try to keep it going in the Bailey Bets. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. FNZ. All you need to know, the best sports knowledge resides right here. Listen to Wilson and Parcel anywhere on the radio.com app. This is Sports Radio FNZ. I double it. Triple it. No, everything's about money. You know, networks don't talk about it. Government can't tax it. But sports betting is a $200 billion a year business. Love lady tonight. I don't know if Parcells out there listening or not, Smoke, but if Parcell wants to hashtag buy the boats, then he needs to start subscribing to the Bailey Bets. How about that? Shot across the bow, Parcell. Bailey Bets 10 and 6 last week. 10 and 6. We got robbed of an 11 and 5 finish, but I'll take 10 and 6. That is in the money, Smoke Ludwig. Yeah, and Josh, he already claims victories one day into a golf tournament. So that's a problem Josh Barcel has. After one day, he was like, I gave you guys Harold Varner. He's going to do well. He's going to win. As a long shot, and then he finished seventh. Now, good performance for HV3. Oh, 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 oh. so what you're telling me is it's not actually my fault that, that HV3 has not held on for some of these tournament wins. Actually, let's just have no one jinx him here at WFNZ. <laughs> Let's let him play out. He's doing pretty good. He's doing all right. He's doing all right. Well, fine. He, he had a good weekend. But we had a 10-6 and six week in the Bailey Bets. And, uh, again, we'll try to keep the hot streak alive beginning tonight. The NBA playoffs are in full effect. And we've got some early games, by the way, including a 130 tip between Utah and Denver, the Jazz and the Nuggets. And this one's a little bit perplexing to me because I looked it up before the game. Utah and Denver combined to average 242 points per game in their last three outings apiece. On the season, they both averaged combined well above 215 points, which is the over-under in this one. Over-under 215. This thing started out at 220 and a half and got bet down to 215. I probably would have taken the over at 220, but definitely going over on 215. Utah and Denver later this afternoon, coming up in just about an hour. Also in the NBA tonight, the Brooklyn Nets and the defending champion, Toronto Raptors. Same thing. These two teams combine on average to go well above 222, but that's what the over-under set at in this one. So like any other bet, it's far from a guarantee, but I'll follow the numbers on this one. Give me the over 222 in Brooklyn and Toronto later on this afternoon. And then tonight, the continuation. They meet again. Red Sox and Yankees. Red Sox and Yankees. Smoke, you got Jordan Montgomery on the hill for the Yankees. Even in uh, a loss to the Dodgers, he pitched pretty well last week. And we know what the deal is with the Red Sox rotation. Take the Yankees on the money line, minus 157. The tanks are coming through Boston, entering (laughs) Fenway Park. We need a pitcher, please. Just one. Besides Nathan Evaldi. But yeah, yeah, just get rid of Evaldi. That's what you want, right? Yeah, so go, uh, go Yankees on the money line, minus 157. Take over 222, Nets and Raptors, and in a game that tips off, I believe, just over an, or just under an hour from now, Utah and Denver, over 215. 
And those are the Bailey Bets. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Will Healy, head football coach of the Charlotte 49ers, will join us. He's with us every Monday at 1 o'clock. And Will's must-hear radio as it is. You know, but Will was uh, going in last week on a variety of things, college football-related. They've made a lot of moves on their schedule, right? Uh, adding uh, both App State for the season opener and North Carolina as they lost the Tennessee Volunteers to the, uh, the SEC's 10-game conference-only schedule, right? So we'll get Will coming up in 20 minutes to talk about it all. And, and I told you earlier, you know, there was uh, an appearance by the NCAA's chief medical officer uh, on CNN over the weekend. I think he did a couple of hits, maybe, uh, but he's the chief medical officer of the NCAA. And while the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 forge ahead and, and continue to move toward playing a college football season, the NCAA's chief medical officer did an appearance on CNN and essentially said, if testing stays as it is, there's no way we could go forward with sports, end quote. Now, that is interesting coming from the NCAA's top doctor. Now, if I'm going to be con- like intellectually consistent here, I'm not going to d- in any way dismiss what he's saying. I find it interesting that the NCAA's top doctors now out here saying this at this moment in time, right? Like this, this could have been said by the NCAA a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Right, but now they're saying it because they're fractured. Where the Power Five, three three conferences want to go ahead, two conferences don't. You've got a group of G five conferences that want to play as well. But the NCAA's top doctor coming out, Brian Hainline, saying again, the pathway to sports is so exceedingly narrow right now. Everything would have to line up perfectly. Right now, if testing in the U.S. stays the way it is, there's no way we can go forward with sports. End quote. That's according to uh, Stuart Mandel of the Athletic. Now there was also a breakthrough over the weekend. And I, <laughs> you'd have told me a couple of years ago that I'd be talking this much about epidemiologists and uh, you know testing and everything else. I, I would have been blown away, blown away. But there was a investment made by the NBA into a Yale program to expedite testing for the coronavirus. Federal officials have given emergency approval to a coronavirus saliva test that Yale University researchers used on NBA players and staff. In a statement, Stephen Hahn, the commissioner of the FDA, called the test quote-unquote groundbreaking, partly because it doesn't need additional components, which have been prone to shortages. Uh, Necessary with standard nasal swab COVID-19 tests when they jam that, uh, looks like a javelin pole of a a Q-tip up your nose, they touch your brain parts. It looks miserable, right? But this is a different kind of test. It's known as saliva direct. It's, quote, simpler, less expensive, and less invasive than the traditional method for such testing, end quote, Yale said in a news release on Saturday. The authorization allows the test to bypass the FDA's regular approval process. So it doesn't rely on proprietary technology, and Yale research don't intend to commercialize it. Right? They're doing this for the greater good. But much of their research was financed by the NBA. This was Adam Silver. See, you, you can say a lot of things about the NBA. You can, you can accuse the NBA of a lot of things, but the one thing you have to say about the NBA is that, that it is the most progressive league in America. You know, and, and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. But in this case, it's a good thing. Now, I did see some people over the weekend when this news came out saying, well, yeah, but they've been doing something similar at Arizona State or at Arizona. This has popped up elsewhere, so it's not quite as innovative as some people are making it out to be. That's fine. I don't, I'm, I'm not in tune with the latest you know, saliva testing protocols. I mean, that's just obviously not what I do. All I know is I see good news. I pass along good news. And, and this is good news, right? This uh, reportedly 
cuts the price of a test from $100 down to $4. That's enormous. That 96% difference, it cuts the cost of a singular test from $100 down to $4. And if that, and now again, the manufacturing of it, the, the how, how you distribute this on a mass scale. And by the way, the Yale release says this is immediately scalable, which is big news, right? What I mean by scalable is it's great that you have a test, but can you get it to people? Can you get it in the hands of those who need it? And the answer appears to be yes. And the answer appears to be that they can do this at a much lesser cost. I mean, $4 as opposed to $100. Now, I, I will lean on more of the expert opinions on this, but from what I'm reading, it's really encouraging, and it could, in theory, even if it's too late for some of the smaller conferences, the FCS, you know, or you know, some of the schools that have opted not to do this because of the cost, it might make it more cost-effective and affordable for these university athletic departments to test their players, their athletes, coaches, and staff more often and more effectively for a much, much lesser cost. And that's what a lot of this is about, by the way. You know, we talked about UConn last week, Randy Edsel and UConn closing up shop on their season. Now, they're a football independent, so scheduling was already going to be difficult for them, right? I mean, you don't have the, the Notre Dame benefit of saying, hey, ACC, we know we're friends with benefits, but can you throw us an extra four or five conference games? And oh, by the way, can we compete for your title? UConn doesn't have that, right? But UConn also recognized that it was actually going to be more expensive for them to hold a season than it would to skip the season. A lot of schools have recognized that. And it's not just because of travel you know, and lost revenue for empty stadiums, which is definitely a part of it. But it's also that the FCS and many of these smaller group of five schools and even some smaller power five schools are incurring a lot of cost to test their players. Even the power five schools with money. Right? They're testing at most during the season three times a week, which you know maybe could be adequate. I don't know. I'm not a professional, but... You know, three times a week as opposed to the the immediate on-demand testing that we're seeing in some of the professional leagues or what's been promised. So all I know is, Smoke, this is good news. The NBA had a hand in financing this. Yale's found a test that is apparently scalable and could be really, really beneficial for sports. Also, another big thing that you didn't mention there, but it's very big to the NBA's um, bottom line as well, is it possibly can help save a lot of college basketball seasons. Oh, yeah. It could help save a lot of the group of five schools. It can help save the the FCS programs, the D2 to D3 schools, because, I mean, you look at, like, for example, football. Let's say a college football program has a rough estimate, about 175 people on staff. If you take that $4 for each test for just one round of testing, that'll be $700 compared to what it would have been with $100 a, a test. I mean, that's astronomical savings you make there due to the saliva test. And if it's effective like we think it might be, I mean, this could be humongous going for college basketball and the NBA going into next year and the MLB as well. Because, look, the NFL, by the time, knock on wood, 2020 in the fall come, 2021 in the fall comes around, will probably have maybe something more of a safer or more efficient way of testing, if not have a full vaccine out by that time. But, but but even that, I, I think Chip Carey made the best point about that earlier. I, I mean, and I agree with what Chip said. I do. I, there there are some very, and I want to say this the right way, because I, I, have, I, I have been championing the safe return of sports because I do think it has a positive impact on people. Obviously, I mean, that, that should go without saying. I also have been very careful not to come off as someone who wants sports at all costs. So long as it can be done safely and responsibly, though, there's nothing wrong with wanting to try to do this. The, the issue, as we've pointed out, is that especially on college campuses, is, is bringing back the entire student body, you know, and possibly throwing the college football season into total turmoil at that point, because down in Tuscaloosa and, and elsewhere across the SEC and ACC, you're going to have kids in class. 
And and what does that mean for these football players? Many of whom were tweeting over the weekend, by the way, that they have two, three, four in-person classes. So, yeah, they're going to be tested, but they're still going to be in-person classes and attending those where many of these students aren't. They're not wearing masks. They're not. So that that's where it becomes difficult for some people to foresee the college football season even starting, much less finishing. I, I want to see where they take this, and especially now with that kind of development. I mean, that that's a game-changing test potentially for, for schools across the country. Now, to say nothing of the professional leagues, cheaper, faster than any current test available. And the test could be really, really helpful to schools that just want to have students back on campus. But the availability isn't immediately known, and it's hard to imagine that testing for athletes would be prioritized above tests that would allow a campus to reopen for students. But, I mean, even then, what are you doing? Testing 40,000 kids coming back to campus and routinely testing 40,000 kids and making them show proof of that? Who's handling that? I mean, a lot of these campuses aren't equipped to handle that. So it's frustrating, but there are good things happening out there. That may pave the way, if not for the college football season, but the return of college basketball, as Smoke pointed out, later this year or to start January because they need a college basketball season. If if the finances of the NCAA and of college athletics are going to remain anywhere close to intact, they can't miss another, well, season, but another NCAA tournament. Just can't happen. All right, hit us up. Twitter, at Kyle Bailey Club, at Clubhouse KB. Follow the show. You can call us. On the Asa Abloy phone lines, text me on the Building Center text line, 704-570-9610. Hit us up. We still have a bunch to get to. Matt Rule speaking to the media in about 25 minutes. This is becoming a, a regular occurrence. We'll keep an eye on what he has to say. Teddy Bridgewater, Trey Boston, already speaking to the media this morning. Panthers' first full padded practice this morning. We'll get to it in about 25 minutes. I want to talk about the Panthers because I do feel like, even though Officer Jim called us earlier and said he doesn't feel very detached from the Panthers, I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of fan bases across the NFL feel detached from their teams right now because this has been a preseason unlike any other. No preseason games, no training camp, no access specifically, no open practices, fewer practices, shut off to the media for the most part, so you're not getting as much coverage and insight as we've gotten in the past but that is starting to change here in charlotte as the media got in yesterday and again this morning and will continue to throughout the week we got a bunch to get to here in the final hour and we'll kick it off with will healy head football coach of the charlotte 49ers here in the clubhouse on sports radio fnz